Open your Bible to uh, Joshua chapter 3. We're in chapter 3 of Joshua, and uh, we're looking at the book of Joshua under the heading of Faith Crossings. And we'll define Faith Crossing again in case you've missed it in just a little bit. Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. Then Joshua arose early in the morning. He and all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim, and came to the Jordan, and they lodged there before they crossed. Now I want you to think about something. Uh, here these people are. God has called them to cross the Jordan. That was the very thing that in the very first few verses of Joshua, uh, Joshua was charged, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people. And now they've come to that spot, and they're ready to cross. Do you know what the night before a big decision is like? If you've been there and done that, you know it's a, usually a long and restless night. There's a lot of anxiety and uncertainty that swirl around in your mind. You, you begin to think of all the things that can go wrong, and if you're prone to second-guess yourself, you can talk yourself out of going forward. So this initial faith crossing in the life of the nation or in the life of the congregation began with coming to the precipice of doing what God wanted them to do and then God instructed them to take a three-day pause. Can you imagine that? Here you are, now stop and think about it. Let it sink in about what you're about to do. So verse 2, we pick up in verse 2. At the end of three days, the officers went through the midst of the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God with the Levitical priests carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. So after 40 years in the wilderness, the whole congregation stands at the edge of the Jordan, the Ark of the Covenant, which is, which is for them the symbol of God's presence, would go before them. Now, if you've ever been through experiencing God before, Henry Blackaby calls this moment the crisis of faith. And their crisis of faith was wrapped up in their decision to follow God. Would they follow him or would they not? So let me define for you now faith crossing. We're going to say three things about it, and we have every time we've been in the book of Joshua so far. First, a faith crossing is an obedient response to the call of God upon your life. It's moving from where you are to where God wants you to be. It is a faith crossing because you are trusting God with the uncertainty of your journey. Now, consider how uh, this applies to them. The Jordan the, we're going to learn a little bit later in the, in the story. The Jordan is at flood stage. Uh, I don't know exactly how wide it was at flood stage, but it was normally about 30 yards across. Some suggest that at flood stage it became as much as a mile across. I grew up on the Chickasahay River. Like most of you, you're aware of the Chickasahay River and the Chickasahay River you could flip a coin across it in, in Stonewall, Mississippi. But when it gets out, it gets wide. And so you can imagine what it might have been like. Now, 
changing shoes rarely requires a step of faith, but changing jobs might. When God calls you to the brink of change or to the brink of a decision, that, that can be significant. It may be so significant when God asks you to do something, when he asks you to step of faith, that it seems impassable and impossible. And that's how it must have seemed to them as they faced the opportunity to cross the Jordan at this particular time. So God was clearly calling them to make a faith crossing. And after 40 years in the wilderness, the time had come. Will we trust God? Will we follow God? Will we be obedient to what God wants us to do? So I want to share with you uh, several things, four things about this step of faith that God was calling them to make or this faith crossing. Remember, they're crossing the Jordan by faith like Rahab made the faith crossing when she dropped the cord, the scarlet cord outside her window. They're about to do this. Number one, faith crossings require a clear sense of God's leadership. Let me read you verses 3 and 4 of Joshua chapter 3. And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God with the Levitical priest carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. However, there shall be between you and it a distance of about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it that you may know the way by which you shall go. For you have not passed this way before. Now, there are two reasons that faith crossings require a clear sense of God's leadership. Number one is because of the risk involved. You want to make very sure that you're hearing from God. Now, some years ago, I had the opportunity, I've told, some of you have heard me tell this story before, but I, I had the opportunity to, to enter uh, the doctoral program and go back to school. Uh, when I graduated from seminary back in 1981, I made sure that I had all the prerequisites to do that because I was going to go from seminary in May of 1981 graduating to the fall of 1982 go into the doctoral program, but it didn't work out that way. And so here I was 25 years later with an opportunity to do what I hadn't done back in 1982. I had an application lying on my desk and a decision to make, and the very fact that I knew about the program was a God thing, that I had found out about this particular program, and the reason it was important to me and the reason I thought it was a God thing was because Henry Blackaby was going to be one of the key professors in this program. But the distance involved and the difficulty involved were going to be enormous. I was in northwest Alabama. The seminary was in San Francisco, California. Most of the classes were going to take place at the Canadian Baptist Seminary in Cochrane, Alberta, in Canada. And so there was a deadline that I, I had to meet in order to apply for the program, and the deadline was in November of 2006. But as that application had been on my desk for a year, what I needed, what I needed was a clear call from God because I knew I wanted to do this. I knew my wife had already said, do it. This is something you ought to do. I wanted to do it. My heart yearned to do it. 
But I needed a call from God to do it because that, this is going to be something that was significant. I had mentioned it to the deacons in the church about doing it back in the summer, and I just never followed through with them because I, weren't, I wasn't sure that they would really support me in doing it, and I was sort of afraid to say anything more about it. And so I just let the thing lapse. I didn't fill out the application. I didn't do anything about it. Well, it comes to the point of December the 6th, 2006. And by that time, I'm absolutely miserable because I feel like I've missed what God wanted me to do. I haven't done what God wanted me to do. I'm miserable. I'm, I'm, I'm in my office. It's a Wednesday, and I'm trying to get ready for Wednesday night. When you're miserable as a pastor, it doesn't mean you don't have to go preach. We were sort of <clears throat> siesting a little bit late this afternoon, and, and Bab said, well, it, it, you know, uh, if it wasn't for church, if, if we could skip church tonight, we could just sleep. And I said, I can't sleep, skip church tonight. I'm the preacher, you know. You ha I have to go. I have to go no matter how I feel, no matter how discouraged I am, no, no matter. I've got to show up. And I was trying to show up, and I was working on this devotion called The Purpose of the Wilderness and the Lives of God's People. This is a significant moment in my life as I'm sitting there that Wednesday working on this devotion and being in a wilderness myself, I'm confused about why I'm where I am, why God is allowing this in my life, why he didn't give me some clear leadership about doing this. And it's 5 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm trying to get my prayer meeting devotion done, and the phone rings. On the other end of the phone is a man from the Golden Gate Seminary in San Francisco, California. I had never spoken with anybody there. I didn't know who he was. He said, my name is Bob Royal, and I'm the head of the Doctor of Ministry program at the Golden Gate Baptist Seminary. And he goes on to say, you had some interest in this program, and you never followed through. Well, I don't really understand why he's calling me, but I tell him, I say, look, I'm 50 years old. Uh, and I tell him all my anxieties and all the stuff, you know. And he said, well, he said, you need to pray about it. We have 15 that we're trying to get involved in this. And although the deadline had passed, he said, the door's still open for you. He said, you'll be getting some other contacts. I hang up the phone. I check my email, and I had an email from Richard Blackaby. Richard Blackaby was also going to be involved in the program. Richard Blackaby was encouraging me to be involved in the program. I got right behind that. It's Time is getting close to church. I'm still working. As you know, you can toggle through things if you're working on your computer. I'm trying to type away on that devotion. And I get another email. It's from Henry Blackaby's personal assistant. How she knew me is a long story, but she had prayed for me in another situation because I had a connection with her through a friend of mine. And she said, I'm praying that you will follow God and respond to this program. Well, uh, you would say, well, that should seal the deal for you. And I suppose my heart was full at that point. But what sealed the deal for me as far as the fact that God was saying, this is what I want you to do, 
is I walked into my sanctuary that night to get ready to, it was 7 o'clock by that time, our prayer meeting was 7, I come down the middle aisle, and as I turn down the middle aisle, one of my deacons grabs me by the arm, has no idea what's going on. His name was Eugene Gann, and he said, Brother Eddie, you had asked us to pray about you going into the doctoral program, and the Lord laid it on my heart today to tell you that if this is the way you feel like God is leading you, that we will support you. At that moment, I didn't know whether to fall down on the floor or cry, but that spot is stuck in my memory, and that moment is stuck in my memory. It's one of those moments when God was saying to me, I do want you to do this. You have a clear sense of my leadership. You need a clear sense of God's leadership to make a step of faith because of the risk involved. The second reason that you need a clear sense of God's leadership is because you have not traveled that way before and you need, you desperately need God's guidance. Now there's a perspective about this passage of scripture that says the Ark of the Covenant is holy and you don't need to get too close to it and not touch it. But that's not what it says here. It says you have not passed this way before. You need to know the way to go. So you need to keep your eye on the Lord. So that's very important. Henry Blackaby, as you know, says in Experiencing God, if we follow Jesus one day at a time, we will always be right in the center of his will. When I was a little boy, my mother taught school, so I was, a, I was one, I guess, one of the first generations of kids in, in daycare. And a, a family kept me, an Assembly of God family kept me and some other kids every day while my mother worked and my dad worked. And uh, the man's name was Harvey Downs, and Harvey would take me and we would go walk to the store, to Rasco's Grocery, and we would walk down the railroad track, sort of behind the cotton mill, and we had to cross a, a bridge on the railroad. It's a trestle. They call them trestles. And, uh, and that, at that particular time, those bridges, those railroad bridges, had the railroad ties, and you know the railroad ties have gravel or something between them when they're on the ground, but when you come to a bridge, Michael, they, don't, they didn't have any, anything between. It was just a railroad tie and empty space. And as a little bitty boy, I was really afraid that I would just fall right through the hole down into the water. And Harvey said to me, all the things he said to me I remember, and I don't know why I remember them, but I can remember them plainly. He said to me, just put your feet where I put mine and everything will be okay. When God wants you to take a step of faith, that's what you need to do. You need to keep your eyes on him. You need to follow his direction and put your feet in his footsteps and everything will be okay. A faith crossing is an obedient response to the call of God upon your life. It's moving from where you are to where God wants you to be. It is a faith crossing because you are trusting God with the uncertainty of your journey. And at some point in your life, there will be one for you to make. I don't know where it will be or what it will look like, but there will be that moment for you. Number two, this is number two. Faith crossings require a consecrated heart. Verse 5 of chapter 3 of Joshua. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow 
the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant and cross over ahead of the people. So they took up, took up the ark of the covenant and went ahead of the people. What God will do tomorrow in your circumstances, in mine, in the circumstances of our church, always depends on the condition of your heart. A faith crossing is not over when you make the first step. It always requires a day-by-day adjustment of your heart to God. So as the people of God stood on the brink of this major faith crossing, they were urged to consecrate themselves, not go out and look for wood to build a boat, not to, to look for a bridge or to look for an alternative. They were simply to prepare their hearts to, so that nothing would hinder God's activity. And as we go forward in the book of Joshua, you're going to learn that the only thing that can hinder God's activity in the life of his people is sin in the life of his people. And it does a major job of doing so. When God calls you to a faith crossing, everything depends on God. You can't work it out. You can't figure it out. You simply prepare your heart so that you can maintain a clear sense of God's leadership so that nothing will hinder God's activity in your midst. And you see that God not only asks individuals to make faith crossings, he also asks congregations to do so. This is a whole nation he's asking to do this. And so by that, I, I infer from that that he can ask a church to make a step of faith. So we come now to verse 7. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I'll begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priest to bear the Ark of the Covenant. When you come, notice what he's, what he's got to say to the priest. When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests, bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters shall come Waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. Here's number three. Faith crossings require us to be still in the face of great difficulty. What kind of difficulty are we talking about? We're talking about every difficulty. Psalm 46.10, you might be familiar with that verse, says, Be still and know that I am God. But that command comes amidst these other verses in the psalm, and I think they're significant. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, 
though its waters roar and form, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, in those times be still and know that I am God. Those priests were to give leadership to this faith crossing by wading out into the middle of the raging waters of the Jordan and then standing still. Their feet were to rest, but their feet would only rest when their hearts rested in God. You know, you can be agitated and not trust in the middle of a time of difficulty. Or you can sit back and say, God, this is in your hands. You've got to work it out. Some of the great, greatest faith crossings you will ever make will not be into some enemy territory or into some faraway mission field, but to have a still, confident heart in the midst of problems that make you want to cut and run. And so when the soles of the feet of the priest rested in the waters of the Jordan, the Bible says the waters will be cut off. In other words, it's going to dry up like the Red Sea dried up, and you'll be able to cross. Now, all of these people, like Joshua, were called to have courageous faith. Courageous faith follows God. Courageous faith asks no questions. Courageous faith offers no excuses. Courageous faith is not open to alternatives. There's no second choice. You only follow God. Courageous faith acts in anticipation of divine activity and courageous faith stands still in the face of great difficulty. Now this is a huge step of faith. Verse 14, so when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan with the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and when those who carried the Ark came into the Jordan and the feet of the priests carrying the Ark were dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows its banks all the days of harvest. The waters which were flowing down from above stood and rose up in one heap a great distance away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those which were flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. So the people crossed opposite Jericho. And the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel crossed on dry ground until all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. Now here's something else we've said before, but we're going to say it about a faith crossing, and this is number four, and this is the end. The faith crossing of one person may become a catalyst prompting others to make faith crossings of their own. In 2019, after coming here to your church, a couple of years after I'd been here, I posted on the devotional part of our website the devotion, The Purpose of the Wilderness in the Lives of God's People. In 2019, 50 people read that devotion. In 2020, 1,725 people read that devotion. In 2021, 14,743 people read that devotion. Last year, 17,301 people read that devotion. So far this year, over 2,000 people have read 
that single devotion that is the most read devotion on that site, a time when I was greatly confused, mystified by what God was doing in my life, couldn't find a way, but God was making a way. God was making a way. What God did in my life, he'll also do in your life. I don't know how, I don't know when. I can't predict that. But I know this, if you will put your feet where Jesus puts his feet, you will always be right where he wants you to be. And he will make sure that everything is okay. A faith crossing is an obedient response to the call of God upon your life. It is moving from where you are to where God wants you to be. It is a faith crossing because you are trusting God with the uncertainty of your journey. Let's pray.